If you turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Mark 10, starting in verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loving him, and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. You pray with me. Father God, we just thank you for your presence here this morning, Lord. And God, we just pray for our hearts to be open to your word, Lord. And we just pray that we would be open to the change that you want to do in each of us this morning, God. And we just pray that your word would go fruitful, go out fruitful as you have promised, Lord. And that we would go out fruitful as individuals, Lord. And we just pray for Pastor Jackie, Lord, that you would anoint him with your Holy Spirit, Lord. That he would speak your words. And that that word would penetrate our hearts, Lord, and change us uh, for your glory, God, and for your good. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we started talking about what it means to live our lives consistent with our faith. What we believe. See, what we believe is not just a statement we say. Uh, Sometimes in the bulletin, certainly on the website and some other places, there's a part of the webpage that is the What We Believe page. But what we believe should be what we live. And those things ought to match up. And Jesus talked about it last time as we were talking about divorce, remember? And we talked about God's plan for family. That God started with family in Genesis chapter 2. He didn't start with government. He didn't start with it. All, a lot of other stuff. He started with family. Man, woman, together, children, family. Which is why if there's going to be an attack on the system 
that is that is God's system, that's where it's going to be rooted in family. And that's where we see it rooted today and years prior. But the question for us is, are we willing then to live our lives consistent with the Word of God? That the Word of God is the authority. Because what tends to happen is we start to fall back on our own understanding. Okay, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? So God wants all of our being, right? Everything that we are, everything that we're about. He wants us all. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's everything, right? Heart, seat of emotions, mind, your intelligence, strength, your, your physical body, right? Your soul, your absolute life. So every aspect of who you are is to be God-centered. That God is central in what we think and how we act and what we do and how we live. Now, the problem is somewhere along the lines, we got this idea that, that if we sign a piece of paper or, or we make a statement out loud, that that's as far as we have to go and, and our lives shouldn't match up. But if we fall in line with that, we say, well, you know, I, I believe, but, but I don't live it. Then we're in the same place the rich young ruler is in the scripture today. As I believe Jesus is talking about consistency with, with his disciples, who just a couple of weeks ago were busy arguing about who's the greatest. You remember? Which one's the greatest? Then immediately after which one's the greatest, Jesus gives a teaching on family. And, and they try to trap him in the concept of when is it okay to divorce, when is it not okay to divorce. And Jesus said basically that God's purpose in creation was to bring family together, not to tear family apart. So Jesus said, just be together. What do you want to know how to be loose for? Be together. Make it work. Be consistent with your lifestyle. And then, immediately after that, we have this story in the scripture laid out for us today. The story that uh, if we look at all the gospels together, this guy's called the rich young ruler, right? One gospel says he's rich, one gospel says he's a ruler, one gospel says he's young. Put them all together, rich young ruler, right? Same story. As we look at it in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Now, as he, Jesus, is going out on the road, one came running and knelt down before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, there's a lot of things I want you to understand in this. And really, there's a lot in this that's good. For example, he, he recognized it, that he had, a, we can see he had an urgent desire. How do I know he had an urgent desire? He's running. When's the last time you ran? Did somebody ring the dinner bell and you ran to the table? That's about how I run. We were, me and Don was out scouting antelope uh, yesterday out in the desert, and, and Don's running all over the place, and I just walk. <laughs> Walk's just going to have to be good enough. If I run, I am on fire. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure that's the only reason. If there's a bear chasing me, I want him to eat me more than I want to run. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> I shared before, I was in the Marine Corps for a long time, and uh, trust me, I ran. Now, people look at me and they go, you know, Jackie, you wouldn't be so fat if you would just run. <laughs> look, I ran. 
enough to never have to run again. <laughs> and I'm going to try <laughs> to live my life that I don't have to run. So when I look at a Bible and I see somebody running, what it says to me is, there's an urgent desire. I have an urgent burning question. There's something on this guy's heart, right? To run? Now, if you think those days were different and people were running all over the place, you're crazy. They're walking. This guy, however, who is rich, he don't got to run anywhere. Who's a ruler, a ruler doesn't, he walks everywhere he goes. But this guy is running to Jesus. He's got an urgent desire. Then the other thing that we see is he's got a humble desire, right? What's he do next? He runs up to Jesus and does what? Kneels. When's the last time you kneeled in front of a guy? Yeah, that'd be forever, right? So he's running to Jesus. He's got a desire. He knows, and we're going to see in his question, he knows something's wrong. He recognizes that something in his life is inconsistent. That there's got to be more than what people are telling me there is about my relationship with God. And he sees Jesus and he runs to him because he knows there's the answer. The answer's right there. I just got to get to Jesus. So he runs to Jesus and he gets there in humility. He drops down on his knees. That guy probably never knelt before anybody in his life. And then as he kneels, he says, Good teacher. And then everything goes south. Well, come. Look at the question. What did he say? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And in that question, we can see the whole problem. Because the reality is, all the rabbis knew the answer to this question, and this guy had heard the answer to this question a hundred times. What do I do to inherit eternal life? You keep the law. You, you follow the commandments. And we're going to see that in just a moment, right? But he knows something's not right. Look, if you're living your life with Christ inconsistently with what the Word of God teaches, you know it. I don't have to tell you. You know if it's sideways. You know if you're out of shape. You know if there's something in your life that God's been telling you, knock that off. Or if there's something in your life where God's been calling you or directing you or asking for you to to step out in faith or to move in a direction or this direction or that. You know God's speaking to your heart and directing you in that way. You don't need me to tell you. You know something's wrong. And that's where this guy is. Something's wrong. Man, there's got to be more to it than a list of do's and don'ts. So Jesus, tell me what I got to do. Tell me what I got to do. Tell me this burning feeling that I have. What do I do about it? And so he asked the wrong question. So Jesus speaks to him. He begins in verse 18. Jesus said, so why do you call me good? It cracks me up because people come to this section and say, see, Jesus said he's not good. And so he's not God. Really? Is that what he's saying? Man, people are, people come to the Bible with presuppositions. You guys know what that is? Preconceived ideas and they look in the Bible and instead of letting the Bible teach them and say what it means, they pour what they want into it. 
That's not how we that's not how we come to the Bible. We come to the Bible as the Bible is the authority, and we are there to learn. So I come to the Bible, right? Remember we started Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what's the next part? Oh, lean not in your own understanding. Lean not in your own understanding. So I want to come and let the Word of God say what the Word of God says. The problem is, we don't like it. We read it and we say, I don't like that. Got a whole generation in the world that's upset. Do you know what the Bible says about women? Oh, shoot. It's so archaic. It says that, Paul says in, in, in the, the uh, pastoral epistles, that he forbids a woman, to te- a woman to teach or have authority over man in the church. That's just dumb. Well, let's change it. The Bible says a husband's supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church. By the way, that's not a suggestion. That's a command. The Bible says a wife is supposed to submit to her husband. The Bible tells us in Corinthians that the, that the head of, of, of the woman, the, the, the wife is the husband. The head of the husband is God. The head of the church, Jesus Christ. There are things that the Bible teaches that we don't like because we don't like to have to be under authority. What do you mean? Who, why does that guy have a, a, the, the right or the authority to say anything to me? That's just dumb. Well, let's change it. Right? That's, that's probably not what it really means. The church around the world is doing that already. All around the world is saying, you know, that, that can't be what Jesus meant. Now look, I am saying we're supposed to love the Lord with all our mind, right? That's our intelligence. So we need to come and read and study the Word with our intelligence intact, yeah? But we got to let the Word be the Word. Not the other way around. Let it say what it says. So Jesus here says, why do you call me good? Why is he saying that? He wants this young guy who's run up to him. You, it was against the law to call a rabbi good. So there's, there's a couple of things going on with this question. One, I think this guy's concept of morality is a little bit twisted. In other words, because of what he's been doing and keeping the law and doing the things that he thinks he's been doing in his life to live his life for the Lord, he thinks that he can be good enough, right? We can see from the question. Doesn't he say, what must I do? He believes there's something he can do that will please God and is going to save his soul. And he looks at Jesus and he says, certainly he's done it. And actually he's right. But there's a reason why he's done it. And so Jesus says, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. Jesus is saying, he doesn't say, don't call me good. He says, why are you calling me good? There's nobody good but God. You want to know whether or not Jesus ever called himself good? Read John 10. He says, I am, which is ego I me, the absolute declaration of the name Yahweh. Ego I me, I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. You don't think Jesus is saying he's God? Who's the shepherd according to the Bible? Remember the Bible's the authority. Well, let's think about it. Psalm 23 starts how? 
The Lord what? The Lord is my shepherd. And how's the word Lord written? Do you guys know? Capital L-O-R-D. Does that mean that's the proper name of God? So Jehovah Yahweh is the shepherd. Nobody's good but God. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. What do you think he's saying? We got to let the word of God say what the word of God's saying. And not come with some tradition. Not come with some other idea, but allow the word of God to say what the word of God is saying. There is no one good but God. And then he goes on in verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. You know the commandments. In a couple of chapters, Jesus is going to be asked by another young guy. They're going to ask him, which is the greatest? And Jesus is going to say to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in these. Love God, love people. All the law is fulfilled. Loving God and loving people. Isn't that interesting? Well, he lays out the law to him. He says, hey, have 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 you done these things? You know what the word says. In verse 20, and he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. I have kept them. The Greek word is phulaso. Phulaso means that I have guarded them. I have treasured them. They're important to me. They're vital to me. It's the same word used of when the Bible says that we're to keep God's commandments. And if we keep his commandments, they're not burdensome to us. What's he mean? Guard them, treasure them, hold them close. It's the word of God that changes me. It's the power of God's Holy Spirit moving in me that enables that change. And so I treasure, I value those. And this guy is saying, that's me. I value what God says. I guard what God says. I've, I've kept them from my youth ever since I was a kid. When I first started memorizing the, the Old Testament, when I first started memorizing the commandments, I was taught to treasure these things, to guard them, to keep them, to walk in these ways. And so he's saying, I've done this from my youth. But the problem is, we don't tend to see ourselves the way God sees us. problem is the human heart is jacked up that is why proverbs 3 5 and 6 says you trust in the lord and don't lean in your own understanding what part of your being is not stained by sin is it just our flesh but our minds are okay our ability to reason, is that is that function perfectly? So if all those different aspects or areas of our life have been affected by the stains of sin, you understand why we need a foundation of truth in the Lord Jesus Christ? We need a foundation of truth in God Almighty and in His Word? Because this don't work like it ought to. Well, think about it like this. Proverbs tells us there is a way that seems right to a man. Isn't there? There's a way we think, oh, you know, this is a good idea. I know what we're going to do when we get into the land. We're going to come up to this city, Jericho. It's got these big walls. And we've got a plan. 
We're going to come up to them. We've been building a lot of big ladders. And so what we're going to do, we're going to wait till night. And, and maybe it'll be asleep on a wall. We'll run up and put the ladders up. And that's how we're going to go over the wall. That's a better plan than the one they come up with, isn't it? What's the difference? One's God's plan. And God's plan is always right. Whether it makes sense in our head or not. God's plan's always right. How do I know it's God's plan? It's confirmed in His Word. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God spoke in various times and in various places through the prophets. In times of old. He has in these last days spoken to us through His Son. Where do we see where, what His Son has given us? In the Bible. In the Word of God. That's how he guides us. That's how he leads us. It's got to be authoritative. So this guy says, I treasured all those things. Those things are all important to me, but his heart is wicked. Now you and I know, if we're honest, if we're honest, we keep it all. It's funny, we're, we're pick and choosers. You guys know what that is? Pick and choosers? Met some folks the other day who, who follow the, the Old Testament dietary laws. So, it's all cool, man. You want to do it, knock yourself out. I don't have a problem with you doing it at all. Do what you want. You feel convicted by God to, to do it, knock yourself out. When you come tell me I got to do it, then I'm going to say, have you not read? Man, you got the book of Galatians, book of Romans, and the book of Acts. It's not like something that has not ever been talked about. But then you spend a little more time talking to them and you see that they're picking choosers. Well, yeah, we, we want to do the dietary law, but that other stuff, man, I ain't doing that. Oh, that's how we live, right? We're honest, especially if we're trying to do it ourselves. We pick what we like and we spit out what we don't. And we live our lives inconsistent with the word. But Jesus wants this rich young ruler to live his life consistent. He wants him to see what's up. So look what he says. He says to him in verse 21, Then Jesus looking at him. Oh, what's that next word? Gosh, I love that word. I love that word because everybody in the world today thinks, thinks backwards. We have backwards minds. We think it's loving to be quiet. Yesterday, all across the nation, churches everywhere lined up outside Planned Parenthoods everywhere and held signs up like, life is not for sale. Now, there are people who would look at that protest and and say, what's the point? What's the point? I mean, you're not going to change anybody's mind. You might not. You might not. So what is the point? Jesus looked at the young man and loved him. And so because he loved him, he just left him thinking everything was cool and walked away? Is it more loving to correct your child when they're wrong? Or more loving to let them continue? The Bible tells us, if a father loves his child, 
He disciplines him promptly. If he loves him. If he don't. The Bible says Jesus looked at this guy and he loved him. And because he loved him, he wanted to tell him, look, what you're doing is wrong. The, the concepts you have in your mind are wrong. And, and I want to point out to you what is necessary so that you can have what you're asking for. Because you're asking for life eternal. You're asking for the right relationship with God. And isn't that exactly what God has called us to? Didn't He say at the end of Matthew, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Go to all the nations making disciples. Isn't that what Jesus has asked us to do? So our response in love has to be to say, that's wrong. When it's wrong. Has to be to stand up before a world and say in the sight of God, that's wrong. Because really, if that offends somebody else, or if that offends the Lord Jesus Christ, which is more? If my silence offends Jesus, then I should stop being silent. No? So, Jesus looks at this young man. The Bible says he loved him. The word for love is agapeo. They're not a stronger word. So it's absolute, self-sacrificing, crazy love. It says, he looked at him and loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. You're, you're missing. You're missing it. And in this really comes the answer to me. He says... Go your way and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come take up your cross and follow me. One thing you lack. Love tells the truth. This is what Jesus said. Let go of everything. Let go of everything. Let it all go. Don't hold on to all this stuff that's holding you back. Let it all go. Let everything go. Love God and love people. And anything that's in the way, let it go. What are you holding on to? My... Met a lot of people that are holding on to a disability check, refusing to get married because if they do, then they both won't get a check. What are you holding on to? What's God want you to do? Don't say you don't know. What are you holding on to? You remember how they hunt spider monkeys, right? You get a little box and fill it up with marbles. They're pretty. And they make a little bitty slit on the side. Just big enough for that spider monkey to fit his little bitty hand in. And then what's he do? Grabs a handful of marbles. And right about then the hunter comes out. And his hand's stuck in a chain to the ground. Nothing's holding that monkey there. 
But the marbles, he thinks, are so important. So the hunter comes up and whacks him on a noodle. Dead monkey. Some of you guys got your hand in a box holding on to a pile of marbles, screaming like a banshee in the middle of there. You see the hunter coming. He's going he's gonna to smack you on top of the noodle, and you won't let go of the marbles. Let go of the marbles, monkey. Let go. There was a daddy. Loved his little girl. Whenever they were out someplace, if that little girl wanted something, she got it. And they're in the store, and I don't know if you, you youngsters have ever seen these things. I don't even know if they got them anymore. But they're getting ready to leave. You ever notice as you're leaving the store, that's where you put all the stuff that the kids can grab? So she reaches up and grabs this candy necklace. Daddy, Daddy, can I have this candy necklace? Oh, man, I don't want to withhold nothing from you, honey. You can have it. It's a good thing. So she takes the candy necklace. Dad thinks she's going to eat it, but she's not going to eat it. She thinks it's pretty, so she wears it. One day, two days, a week, green stripe is growing around her neck. Daddy comes to her that night. Baby, you know I love you. Yeah, Daddy, I know you love me. Would you give me your candy necklace? No, Daddy, you can have anything else. My Barbie. I don't really like Barbie no more. You can have Barbie. That's all right, baby. And he tucks her in. The next day, he comes back, does the same thing. Baby, can I have your candy necklace? No, Daddy, you can have my little pony. But not my candy necklace. No, not, not my candy necklace. That's all right, baby. The third day, daddy comes walking in and she's just crying. Daddy runs in. What's the matter? What's the matter, baby? What's wrong? She just holds out her hand. In her hands, that candy necklace. So her daddy took it, reached into his pocket, pulled out a real pearl necklace and gave it to her. Said, baby, I wanted to give you the real thing, but I couldn't do it till you let go of what you're holding on to. What are you holding on to? What was the rich young ruler holding on to? All his money. All his stuff. Man, I got all this stuff. I got all the toys. I got all this neat, cool things. Jesus saying, let it all go, man. Let it all go. What good is it? Was it because the stuff he had was evil? No, it's good stuff. Is it possible for good stuff to keep you out of the kingdom of God? Yeah. Let go. That's what Jesus is telling them. Let go of all this stuff. And you will have the real deal in heaven. Just let it go. Just let it go. Take up your cross and follow me. Make me the thing you love most. And now your stuff. Verse 22 says, But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What's the result? Man, he, he loved his stuff more than he loved 
Jesus. He knew something was wrong. He knew his life was out of balance. He knew he didn't have it. He didn't have it together. It wasn't right. It wasn't how it's supposed to be. And so he comes to Jesus to find out the answer and he doesn't like the answer. Because the answer is, let go of everything else and just grab me. Let go of everything else. And it's you and me. You and me till the wheels fall off. And we're going to take a cross, which means life's going to be hard. And we're going to follow Jesus. And we're just, we're just, I'll be with you the whole way. And you will have the real deal. But a lot of folks are satisfied with a candy necklace. A lot of folks are satisfied not having the real. Verse 23, Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? Hey, that's the number one problem in the U.S. It's hard for people who have everything to want Jesus Christ with everything in them. It's hard. I've been out in the middle of Malawi, Africa, where there's no running water. There's hardly any food. You eat mushed up cornmeal. Every day, that's it, has absolutely zero taste. You, the best you can hope for in the morning is to have to walk a couple of miles to get water and a couple of miles back with your water. And that's the water you're going to use to drink all day and take care of the stuff you got to take care of. There is no bathrooms, there are no, there are no kitchens, there's no, none of that stuff. There's none of that stuff. It's easier for them. When all you got is nothing... They had other struggles, though. Before you start lifting them up on a pedestal, don't do it. There's a sin that easily ensnares every man, and a weight that keeps him from running the race like he should. But ours is riches. We got every shiny, cool thing you can imagine. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care if you did not have a meal yesterday. You are... Rich. Riches keep us away. We got all this cool stuff, man. I, my, my phone has more power in it than the first computer I bought. The first computer I bought took like a day to turn on. <laughs> my first computer was so old, this before floppies. It ran on a cassette. Some of you guys will, what's a cassette? <laughs> yeah. Some of you guys are going, what's a floppy? <laughs> Man, we got stuff. And our stuff, guys, our stuff is a problem. What does Jesus say? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, brilliant men leaning into their own understanding will come to this verse and say, what that means is, let me make it real easy for you. What it means is a camel and an eye of a needle. It means what it says. It's not talking about some door and some gate that you got to crawl through. How do I know that's not what it means? Because Jesus says it's impossible. He doesn't say it's possible. 
He says it's impossible. What's impossible? It's impossible to put a camel through the eye of a needle. I don't care what you do, he's never going to fit. It's an idiom, a figure of speech. You guys are familiar with those, right? What if I was to say, you don't have a snowball's chance in... You shouldn't think that way in church. (laughs) Now, are you going to start telling me, you know, a snowball in hell would have a chance if... No, it don't got no chance. By the time you come up with a way it has a chance, it's melted. The point Jesus is making is there's nothing you can do. Is there? There's nothing you can do. You can't buy your way in. You can't work your way in. You can't get there any other way. It is impossible. They're greatly astonished. They're saying among themselves, then who can be saved? (coughs) Who can be saved? That's a perfect answer. Who can be saved? Jesus says with men, it is impossible. You cannot save yourself. But with God, all things are possible. Who saves us? God. We're struggling in our riches like this rich young man. All he has to do is what that father did a couple of chapters earlier. And said, oh Jesus help me, help me. I'm holding on to my treasures. And I, I don't want to hold on to my treasures. I want to hold on to you. Help me. You think Jesus would say, no, you got to do it yourself. That's not what he'd say, right? What did he tell that father who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Did he say, well, come back when it's better? No. He healed the son, right? See, what God wants us to realize is we have to live in dependence on Him. It's not, we declared our independence from God in the Garden of Eden. You guys understand what I mean? When Adam and Eve said, God, I don't need you for good or evil. I'm going to eat this fruit and I'm going to be God for myself. That was the declaration of mankind in their independence day. And to have a relationship with God, a right relationship with God, you must declare dependence day. I need you, God. I need you because my heart wants dumb things that it shouldn't want. I need you, God, because there's a lot of things that distract me and take me other ways. God, I need you to save me. I need you to keep me. I need you to guide me. I need you to hold me. I need you to help me. We have to live our lives dependent on God. Sometimes we hear things in the Word and we say, Oh, so I can't do that. You, you're right. But the point is not for you to sit back and go, Well, I can't do that. The point is to go to God. Lord, this is what your Word is asking me to do and I can't do this. Help me. That's living my life central on God. Not making an excuse for why I can't do it, but saying, I need your help to be the man I'm supposed to be, God. I need you. But the rich young ruler just left. He just walked away. The answer to all his problems was right there. He knelt before him. Everything he needed was two feet away. And he walked away. He heard something he didn't like. Instead of asking for help, there is a way that seems right to a man. He used his own reason. He walked away sorrowful, saying, I can't do this. I can't be without these things. It says in verse 28, then Peter says to him, you've got to love Peter because he's always going to say 
what's on his mind. I love Peter's, by the way. I never have to think. I wonder what he's thinking. They're going to tell me. I mean, I like what they tell me, but they're going to tell me. It's okay. <laughs> Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Peter's thinking, but Lord, Ed, that guy's leaving. But we left everything, man. The, the boats, the fish, the nets. Okay. I love you, Peter. But in John 21, when things get hard and Peter's denied Jesus and Jesus has is, is, is risen, but he's not really sure if there's any place for him anymore. In the family of God, what does he say? I'm going fishing. You can't leave something and have something at the same time. Can you? And when Jesus comes to him after he fishes, remember? They don't catch anything. You guys remember, right? And there's a guy on the shore and they're coming back. These guys had, I fish like these guys. I don't come up with a lot of stuff very often neither. And so... They see this guy on the shore and he shouts out to him, Have you caught any fish? I don't ever answer that question if somebody asks me from the shore. I'm just boating. <laughs> Have you caught any fish? No. Try the other side of the boat. Whatever. What is that going to do? Try the other side of the boat. You're killing me. They try the other side of the boat, what happens? Lots of fish, right? And immediately Peter looks and goes, Jesus? Yeah, guys, I got breakfast when you're ready. So they get the boat close. Peter puts on his coat, jumps in the water, swims up. I don't know why. That's what the Bible says, what he did. He swims up to Jesus. What's Jesus asking him after breakfast? What's he asking him? Peter, do you love me how? More than these. What's he pointing at? Fish, ships, disciples. I don't know. What's the point? The same question for you and me. Do you love me more than these? Peter says, this is a Jackie paraphrase. Yes, Lord, you know I'm trying Yes, Lord, you know I'm trying. I phileo, I phileo, I phileo. But that's not what Jesus is asking him. Do you agape? Self-sacrifice. Do you agape? Finally, Jesus says, Peter, are you trying? Oh. The Bible says, Lord, you know all things. You know I'm trying. Every step along the way, Jesus had a job for Peter. Because in that place, and in that time, Peter's being honest. We left all? I'm trying. I'm trying, Lord. I, I just want to hold on to you. I want you to be everything. That's where God wants us to be. Dependence on Him. For everything. Peter says, we've left all. What's Jesus say? So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospel. Oh, so Jesus is going to give us the conditions. What's the conditions for leaving all? Just to decide, you know what? I don't want to pay for nothing no more, so I'm just leaving. 
No. What's he say? What's the condition for leaving all? For my sake, says Jesus, and for the Gospels. To, to go be, to go do, to follow me, to do the things that Jesus is asking him for. That's the conditions. <clears throat> Anyone who does that, who shall, uh, there's no one who does it, who shall not receive a hundredfold, when's it say? Now in this time. Now people like to grab that verse and make it do gymnastics. So that means if I give 20, Jesus is going to give me back 100 times. I get 20 back 100 times. Are you not listening to this story? What is our problem? Riches. So you really think what Jesus is saying? So give me your riches and I'll make you richer. Give me your riches and I'll give you more money. Give me your life and I'll make you more healthy. He says, no one's going to leave all this stuff. And I'm not going to give them more. But where do we get more? Right here where you are. My family, when we came to Idaho, wasn't all here. Now i got an abundance of family here. They just keep coming. I asked the last one to close the door in California and there's two more people coming. It's not all my fault. If Idaho wasn't such a great place, they wouldn't want to be here. When we come into the family of God, whatever we've lost, we find together a hundred times what we, what we gave up, what we left behind. Relationships, friends, family, people closer than a brother. All the stuff that we lose, whatever it might be, when we follow Christ, we find in the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. You'll have that now. And in the future, eternal life. We just got to declare dependence. My dependence day. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. But we don't want to forget the last part, right? A hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with... What was that phrase? Persecution. I, I want to leave that one. Did Jesus promise us a rose garden? No. So you say it's going to be hard? Sometimes, right? Sometimes. Are we, going to, are we going to have to let things go sometimes? Yep. And then will there be another day where we get to receive things? Yep. But is it about the things? Nope. What's it about? Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ. And then in verse 31, just see it. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. He gives us the contrast. We think we've got all these things worked out. But Jesus says firsts are going to be last and lasts are going to be first. And I like to look at it. Now this is just by way of application, okay? But I'd like to look at it like sometimes that's the things I want. There's a lot of things I wanted first that I don't want anymore. Now they're last. There's a lot of things I didn't think I wanted that I want very much now. The last first. There's a lot of people that we sometimes look at and think, ah, they're no good for nothing. They're going to be first. And there's a lot of people we look at and think, man, that's a first. They're going to be last. Think about the point. What's the point? What makes a first? What makes a last? Dependence. Dependence on Him. Surrendered to Him. Let go of the junk that's in your hands. 
and the things you think are so important. And bury those hands in Jesus Christ's hands. And then ask Him (coughs) to do, to move, to work, to accomplish those very things that God wants to do in your life. And be willing to do. What's God asking you to do? Is God saying, I want you to go across the street and share Christ with your neighbor and you won't do it? Why not? What are you holding on to? Is God asking you to break a relationship off that's not a good relationship? Is God asking you to change the direction? Is God telling you over and over you're living your life inconsistent with what the Word of God teaches? Then you are like the rich young ruler at the feet of Jesus. And you're saying to Him, I know something's wrong. Something's not right in my life. And Jesus' answer to you is, let it all go. Let it go. And hold on to me. And you can move. Last to first. Just let it go. Let go of the stuff that is holding you back from being what God wants you to be. Luke chapter 13, last scripture, verse 22 through 30. I'm just going to read it to you and we're going to pray. It says, And he went through the cities and the villages and he was teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has shut the door, And you begin to stand outside and knock on the door and say, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. And then you will begin to say, but we ate with you and we drank in your presence and you taught us in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself have been thrust out. And they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south to sit down in the kingdom of God. And there will be those who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. Enter through the narrow gate. Take the narrow path. Let go of what you're holding on to and grab a hold of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Once you stand with me, let's pray.